Welcome to the Where the Rubber Meets the Road podcast, where we're here to help you keep your children safe in the car and make every arrival a safe arrival. I'm Greg, co-founder and CEO of SafeRideForKids.com, here with Amy. His wife. Um, I'm Amy, and I'm the creative director at Safe Ride for Kids. Uh, my background was uh, 18 years in the fire service as a firefighter paramedic, and I've been a certified child passenger safety technician uh, since 2000 and an instructor of that program since 2001. I have been a car seat technician since 2004, and I used to work at a hospital helping parents install their car seats with their new babies. Driving is the most dangerous thing that we do with our kids on a daily basis. Um, whether it's a parent taking their kid to school or daycare or the daycare facility or the school transporting children. Um, you know, for kids under 12, driving is the most uh, dangerous thing, the, the causes the most injuries, the most fatalities. And I got started as a firefighter paramedic. Um, that was my first career. Did it for almost 20 years. And early on in my career as a paid career firefighter, I realized that I would have a much bigger impact in um, the lives of the citizens of our district, in the community, you know, the larger community, by getting involved in injury prevention education. Uh, specifically in the realm of car seats, where car seats are, or where car crashes are, are uh, cause so much devastation in the lives of, of families. You know, as a paramedic, by the time we're responding to a call, it's already too late. The injuries have already taken place. So uh, I figured I decided it would be best to work in the area of prevention. So that was back in 2000 when I got first got certified as a car seat technician. Um, Amy and I founded our company in 2012 to promote uh, unique, innovative products uh, that people weren't going to find, you know, in the big box stores, but that would really help them do a better job of, and an easier job, convenience and safety of transporting their kids. And I'll let Amy take it from here about how she got started in all this um, and why it's important to her. So we were newlyweds. Were we even married yet? I don't think we were married yet. Um, he started doing car seat events, and I started volunteering, helping. Um, I was the scribe. That was the person who was writing all the notes. Um, and I thought I could do more help help more, help more parents um, if I also became a car seat technician. So back in 2004, I became a car seat technician. And while I was pregnant with our first child in um, 2005, 2006, I started working at a local hospital and teaching parents who just had their babies how to install their car seats correctly. So I'd be going up and down, up and down the stairs all day long, pregnant, up until the very, like, two days before I delivered. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yep. So I was climbing into all these cars with the dads and teaching them how to do car seats. Um, 
So I have been in the car seat world for about 16 years, and I've written most of our blogs and educational materials. So that's the, oh, and I used to be a um, art director for a magazine, so I kind of do all the graphics and stuff too. Yeah, art, we wouldn't have a company if it wasn't for Amy. So today <clears throat> we're talking about the four stages of car seat safety. So um, wait, I'm going to pause you just for a second because okay. you still haven't spent our title. This is the first podcast of where the rubber meets the road. Oh, that title. <laughs> that's what you were talking about. <laughs> yes. So the title of this series of broadcasts is going to be, or podcasts, is going to be where the rubber meets the road. Um, because it's about, uh, you know, any knowledge is uh, pretty much useless or it doesn't have an impact if it doesn't get put into practice. So, you know, we're here to teach you, to talk to you about uh, safety tips, uh, correct car seat use, and some parenting tips. And hopefully these will help your, help you do a better job as a parent, as a, as a care provider for your children. Because we all know that you all want to keep your children as safe as possible. Absolutely. And sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. That's right. So today we're going to start at the very beginning and kind of do an overview of the stages of car seats. So how many stages are there? So as I've said, there are four stages of car seat safety. And at Safe Ride for Kids, we actually include an additional stage. Um, but let's talk first about where did these stages come from? So in the U.S., the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is kind of the government agency that is tasked with um, reducing highway injury, highway fatalities. One aspect of that is making sure that there's um, education, information, and training available to the general public through um, outreach programs, public service programs, uh, overseeing or recommending uh, the safety standards for products used by the general public, uh, specifically in this case car seats that get uh, folded into the Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards. But in general, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, also known as NHTSA, is the one that kind of developed these four stages of car seat safety. And the stages are rear-facing, forward-facing, and that's forward-facing using the internal harness of the car seat. Seat belt positioning. Which often gets confused as booster seat stage. Right. And uh, that's important to, to point out that the booster seat stage is the common lingo, but it's actually seatbelt positioning. And there are different products on the market that function as seatbelt positioners that aren't booster seats. Um, so that's something that uh, we kind of really put an emphasis on pointing out that the stage is seatbelt positioning stage. And then the final stage is just the uh, child who is now bigger is able to fit into the adult seatbelt system in the car 
without any add-on aftermarket products. Um, the plus stage that we've referred to is the pregnancy stage of development. And I'll let Amy talk a little bit about why that one's important. So we include pregnancy as one of the car seat stages because there are a lot of pregnancies um, that are lost during from from car crashes every year. So every year an estimated, and, and this is a kind of average from a variety of studies that we've looked at, but about 3,000 pregnancies are lost every year due to car crashes in the U.S. Um, and oftentimes the seatbelt as the primary restraint could be the cause of these injuries or fatalities. Um, now, the seatbelt is built and designed to keep you properly restrained in your seat. So it's the first thing that your belly hits, um, comes into contact with during a crash. Um, so, and it's a lot of force trying to hold you into the seat. So there's a lot of force going into your pregnancy. And while NHTSA says that the proper way to wear a seatbelt is underneath your belly, I don't know if any of you are like me, but there was no underneath my belly. When I sat down, my belly was on top of my legs. So I'd have to like lift my belly up to try to get the seatbelt under there, which was really uncomfortable for many reasons. For one, it was digging into my skin. And for two, it was always tightening on my bladder, which was never fun as a pregnant woman. <laughs> it seems like your bladder was never empty. <laughs> it was never empty. I always had it. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you haven't figured it out yet, Amy and I are husband and wife. Uh, we've been in this together um, since 2003, and uh, it's been a fun ride. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tell us about the well. Tell us about the car seat stages. So, what is rear facing, and how do you know how long you stay there? So, when we're talking about the the stages of car seat. They're really driven by the size of the child and the, the height and weight limits of the car seat that, that you're using, as in, you know, that, you're, that you've purchased or that you have access to. So when we're talking about the stages of car seat, it has to do with how big is the child, um, how old is the child. And ultimately, this is all about crash dynamics and, and energy management in the car. So there's a simple formula that we use in the car seat safety world where we're, we teach parents to uh, think about the amount of energy in speed versus uh, weight. And this is a very loose um formula. If there's any engineers out there in the audience, we understand that this isn't the exact force formula, but it's a good general formula that parents can wrap their heads around. And it's easier for us car seat techs to remember. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the, it's just speed times weight gives us restraining force, how much force is necessary uh, or is required to restrain that occupant. So, um, when we're talking about rear facing, what we're talking about is actually protecting this, the, the central nervous system, the brain, neck, and spinal column. 
And um, in an infant, in a, in a child, uh, they're already, their anatomy, their head is disproportionately large compared to their body size or the ratio of an adult's head to body size. So when we're thinking about a crash and, and restraining force, um, we want to make sure that we're supporting the head in a way where that, those crash forces or that restraining force isn't ending up on the neck or, you know, the job of the neck. So it's important to realize that um, the most common type of crash is actually a forward impact. So that's, you know, obviously we all drive around forward-facing or driving forward direction. So when a crash happens, when a forward crash happens, well, when any crash happens, the occupants um, are moving towards the point of impact. Um, and if you just look at, you know, from a common sense uh, perspective, if you got a bowl of water on the table and you slap it on one side, that hand's going to get wet because the uh, bowl is moving away from you and the water is moving towards your hand. Um, I also like to look at it, um, it, it kind of gives me a good visual. Say you're driving down the road and you smack a tree, well the tree's not going to move, so your car is going to stop, but everyone inside the car is not stopping yet. They still have to move forward. So they're moving forward into whatever restraint that they have. So for you know, adults, we're hitting the seatbelt. Um, for children in car seats, they're, well, for the rear facing, their car seat is moving forward. For the forward-facing, they're moving forward in their harness straps. So yep. that's one way to look at it. It is. It's, I like that. Um, so because everybody, you know, the occupants are moving towards the point of impact and the frontal crash is that first um, or is that most common type of car crash, we want to make sure that we're preparing the child in the car seat for that most likely scenario. So when a child is rear facing in their car seat, you can imagine that their head, neck, and back are all supported by the shell of the car seat as that car seat and that crash energy is moving towards that point of impact. Now just imagine turning that car seat forward facing too early. What's the downside of that? Well, when we turn a child forward facing, like Amy was just describing, the, the child's body is going to be restrained by the harness, right? So the child's going to lean forward into the harness. Their head and neck are unrestrained, unsupported. They're going to be moving and flying forward. Now think about the weight of the child's head. Let's say, you know, the average adult head weighs eight pounds. Uh, let's say a kid's head weighs five pounds. So in a five, a five pound head in a 10 mile an hour crash, you know, a 10 mile an hour crash is like a parking lot, right? 
we're talking about 50 pounds of force being put on the child's neck to restrain the head. Uh, if we increase those numbers to a 30 mile an hour crash and a five pound head, now we're talking about 150 pounds of force required to restrain that head. Um, so the issue is all of the ligaments between the vertebrae of the neck are going to be under severe strain. And the vertebrae themselves are under a significant amount of strain. And it's actually the attachment point between the vertebrae and the, the ligaments holding the vertebrae together that is kind of the weak spot, if you will. So the answer to the question of how long do we keep our kids rear-facing is really as long as possible because we want to give those vertebrae and those ligaments as much time as possible to get as strong as possible so that they're able to restrain the head and neck, or particularly the head, in that most common forward impact. Um, so there's no particular age that you think, okay, now my child's going to graduate to the next level. First of all, it's not really a graduation because at each level of car seat that you're moving up, you're actually losing a little bit of safety. So once you go from rear-facing to forward-facing, you're losing the cradle effect of the car seat, and the child's going to be restrained by the harness straps. Um, so it's no age. We're going by the child's weight and height primarily, and when the child meets the um, the that particular car seat's um, specifications. So although your law might say up to age one, and many states are changing their laws to say at least age two, you still want to keep them rear-facing for as long as possible. And the current best practice recommendation from NHTSA and a national safety organization called Safe Kids Worldwide um, the, the rec and the American Academy of Pediatrics. The recommendation is keeping your child rear-facing to the upper limit of the car seat that you're using. So to, to what Amy was just saying, that weight limit, height and weight limit, from the car seat manufacturer, you know, one child may hit that at two years and six months, and another child might hit that at four years old. It really just depends. <coughs> Excuse me. So um, the answer to the question of when do we turn our child forward facing is when they hit the upper limit of, of the car seat that they're using. And then obviously, there's always going to be uh, individual family variables that come into play. What might some of those be? Um, well, for instance, our experience with our youngest, um, he was two, two and a half when we finally had to turn him forward facing because, and we normally would have kept him rear facing longer, but we had to turn him forward facing because he started kicking his older siblings in the face were sitting next to him they didn't really like it it caused a lot of screaming and yelling and was distracting to the driver so we decided it would be safest to turn him around so he was unable to kick people in the face anymore he just thought it was fun he was very flexible 
Um, so yeah, you know, there's a lot of things that go into making these decisions, but purely from a crash dynamics perspective, from a <clears throat> safety per perspective, you want to keep them rear facing as long as you can. Um, a common misperception from parents actually is they start getting concerned uh, when their children's feet start, you know, pushing on the vehicle seat back, um, or they feel like their the legs are getting scrunched. When we're at events and we ask parents why they turn their child forward facing, even though the child was only one and a half or whatever, they always say, "Well, they look so uncomfortable. Their legs were going up the back of the seat." Well. I don't know if you remember being a kid, but I was really flexible, and so are many other kids. They don't really mind having their legs up the seat. They usually sit cross-legged. They put their legs over the sides of the seat. I mean, they're crazy flexible. Crazy flexible, and they just don't have the same um, opinions about how they should be. It's you know, This is their first time coming through as a child, so as long as they're rear-facing, they don't know the difference. Um, they just know that that's how they're riding in the car. And um, so, first of all, there's, like, no documented cases of leg injuries from a car crash from a rear-facing seat. And even if they were, they would be extremely rare. But the number of injuries out there from neck and spinal cord injuries are definitely out there and definitely documented, and that's the result of turning the child forward-facing too early. There are actually studies showing that um, children are receiving leg injuries forward-facing, so more likely forward-facing leg injuries than rear-facing. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so... I think we've covered the rear-facing stage, that first stage of car seat safety. Um, let's talk a little bit more about forward-facing. Um, so the next stage is forward-facing with the harness. Um, as Amy pointed out, as a child progresses through these stages of development or stages of car seat safety, there's actually a, an incremental decrease in the amount of protection that they're receiving um, from the equipment that's being used to help keep them safe in the car. So at this next stage, which is forward-facing with a harness, the internal harness to the car seat has multiple points of contact with the child. And those Contact points obviously would be, you know, shoulder, left and right shoulder, left and right hip, and then a fifth contact point in the center uh, with the crotch strap. And why is that important? Um, let's talk about why we use restraining devices at all, you know, either, whether as adults or for children. Again, it comes back to crash dynamics. And the number one job of all restraint systems, whether it's the seatbelt for you and I as adults, or if it's the car seat harness for the children, the number one job is to keep the occupants inside the vehicle, 
inside the passenger compartment. Um, over the years, uh, over the decades, NHTSA uh, identified that when an occupant gets ejected from the car, when they get thrown out of the car, out of the passenger compartment, the probability of a fatal injury is, I think, like four times more likely to be fatally injured when somebody's ejected from the passenger compartment. So the number one job of all restraint systems is to keep people in the car. The second priority, the second objective, is for whatever restraint system we're using to contact the strongest points of the body. So for you and I as adults, the, the lap and shoulder restraint system was designed to contact our upper bony structure, which is shoulder and rib cage, and the hips. So that's why the lap belt is going across the hips. You also want to contact as many of those strong points as possible. So you might wonder why we're not all using five-point harness. And in reality, it's because most adults won't. It's a compromise. Uh, the three-point seatbelt was a compromise between a four-point or five-point harness, similar to what you might see in a race car driver or something, and um, a lap-only seatbelt, which was kind of the first uh, designs that were out on out on the market was just that lap only seatbelt. So for optimum safety, obviously we'd all be in a harness with more points of contact, spreading that restraining force over more of our body's surface area. But the manufacturers found that most adults wouldn't actually use it. So three point harness, the lap shoulder belt is their compromise, something that is easy to put on and that we're more likely to use. More likely to use, yep. Okay, so forward-facing, how long do we stay forward-facing? So forward-facing with the harness <clears throat> is um, really going to be dictated by the limits of the seat again. Um, there are car seats on the market that are called like all-in-one or three-in-one or four-in-one. And these car seats are designed to take a child, essentially, you know, with a lower weight limit of four, five, six pounds um, from birth, rear-facing up through, say, 35 or 40 pounds, rear-facing, and even higher for some brands, rear-facing with the harness. Flip that child around to the forward-facing weight limits, there's going to be crossover between the rear-facing weight limit, upper weight limit, and the forward-facing lower weight limit. Um, but then uh, that harness will go up to likely 50, 55, 60, 65 pounds, depending on the brand of car seat. So again, the goal is gonna be to keep them in the five-point harness, that multiple points of contact spreading the crash forces out over as much surface area of the body um, until that child gets moved to that seatbelt positioning stage. And I think one of the biggest things that has been identified over the decades is pushing children through the stages faster than they should be. Uh, you know, the parents 
tend to think of it as a graduation from one stage to the next. And like Amy mentioned earlier, at each step, there's an actual, there's a decrease in the amount of safety or protection that they're receiving. So it's nothing to celebrate. Um, it's actually uh, a reduction of their, their safety as they progress up through these stages. But it's also the, the facts of life, the reality that we gotta, we gotta move them up. So the, the answer is we're gonna keep them forward facing in the harness to the upper weight limit of the harness in that child restraint. And then the next stage after that is gonna be the seatbelt positioning stage. Now, as we mentioned earlier, this uh, most people call this the booster seat stage because that's the most common product out there for the next stage. Um, there are other products like the Ride Safer Travel Vest, um, which actually instead of boosting the child up to fit the adult seatbelt, it takes the seatbelt and fits it to the child um, with seatbelt guides on the vest. And the vest actually has an internal harness too. So you can use it with a tether strap, which actually adds an additional point of contact. So now with the Ride Safer vest, you have four points of contact. Um, so that you're really dropping down by one from the five-point harness that your child was in. Um, and the booster seat will have three points of contact because it's only using the lap shoulder belt. And the booster seat comes in um, two different styles, basically a, a high back booster um, that has a shoulder belt guide in the in the back of the booster and then the lap guides or the, the lap part um, seat in the seat of the booster. And then there's also the backless booster, which is just the seat that has the lap, um, I guess, cutouts in the arms yeah. for the lap belt to go. And the idea of the booster seat, like Amy said, is to lift the child up so that the adult seat belt fits their body better uh, because the seat belts in the car were made for adults. They weren't made for kids. So the booster seat was kind of the first attempt at trying to help bridge that gap between, um, you know, the child and their anatomy and the adult anatomy that the seatbelt was designed for. And one of the things that kids don't have that we as adults do is that notch in our pelvic bone. So if you reach out, reach down and feel, um, you know, whether you're standing down or sitting up, you can feel that notch in your hip bones. Well, that's where the seatbelt is you know, engineered, designed, intended to contact your body and restrain uh, the, your lower, the lower part of your body by holding you back from moving forward in that forward impact by hold, contacting those hip bones. Kids just don't have that notch developed yet, so it's actually easier for the lap portion of the seatbelt to slip off of their hip bones and intrude into their abdominal area, which isn't good for all the soft gooey parts that are uh, in their bellies in a crash. So how long do they stay with a belt positioning device? And that is also not about their age. Um, most times it's about their height. And that really is about when they can pass the five-step seatbelt fit test, which we have more information on on our website, and we'll discuss it in another podcast, so we're not going to do um, anything in-depth here. But it's basically the five 
points that you want to look at to make sure that the seatbelt fits properly on your child. And usually it doesn't fit properly until the child is four foot nine inches. And you might think that you're short and you might need a booster seat, but it's different for adults because adults have um, stronger bones at that point and kids still have growing bones. Um, so we want to keep them in the booster seat or ride safer, whatever belt positioning product you're using until they're four foot nine inches and can properly fit into the seat belt. So again, not age. They don't get to graduate into adjust the seat belt at eight years old because most of them don't reach four foot nine until nine, 10, maybe 12 years old. Yeah, somewhere um, between nine and 12. Our two oldest kids reached, um, reached just the seat belt when they were nine and a half. Yeah, it's that 57 inches, four foot nine is kind of the, that's what the seat belts were engineered for, um, that adult occupant. So those are the four plus stages. Now for the plus stage, we're going to do uh, multiple in-depth podcasts. We plan to be doing uh, a podcast every couple of weeks. Um, so we'll be inviting you guys and, you know, hoping that you come back to, to learn about all the different things that we're talking about. But I think when we're start, when we, when we're talking about that plus stage, it's going to be important to be thinking about those principles of keeping the occupant inside the passenger compartment is the number one priority. The second priority is contacting the strongest points of the body. And the third point, the third priority is spreading crash force out over those strongest points of the body. Preferably without impacting the baby. Correct, in the, for the plus stage. So now we're gonna give you our tip of the week. Um, it is CPS week, and if you don't know what CPS means, it stands for Child Passenger Safety. Not Child Protective Services. Nope. <laughs> so child, <when> you... <laughs> child Passenger Safety. So when you hear us talk about CPS, we're talking about child passenger safety, not child protective services. <laughs> so CPS Week Safe Kids uh, Worldwide focuses on child passenger safety for one week every September, and it is this week. So if you're listening to this another time, it is September 20-something in 2020. Um, so our tip of the week this week is get your car seat checked. And you might wonder why. Well, three out of four car seats are having some sort of misuse. And yet 96% of parents think they did it right. So I don't know. You do the math. Someone's wrong. Yep. That is a fact. And, you know, uh, there's the best thing that you can do um, is read the owner's manual for your, your car seat. And, and your, your car. And your vehicle and understand what's going on, the, how those two pieces of equipment fit together. Um, a certified child passenger safety technician is somebody who's gone through a certification process. It's usually a three or four day class. It was five when I went through. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, and they actually learn all of the principles of car seats, crash dynamics, uh, the pieces and parts of all the different kinds of car seats out there. And they're going to be your best bet to 
walk you through and plan on a 30 to 45 minute appointment where they're going to look at your car seat, your vehicle, your circumstances. So bring your kids. Ideally bring your kids and plan on an additional 10 to 15 minutes for each child that you bring. So that 30 to 45 minutes is just the basics education process and inspection process for one child. And it'll take more time because they're going to teach you how to um, install your car seat and be confident in doing it correctly every single time that you uh, move that car seat or, or change it from car to car. So there's a lot to cover. And the best way to actually find a certified technician in your area is we've done our best at Safe Ride for Kids to make it easy for you. So, so go to SR4K, the number four sr4k.com forward slash cps tech and that will bring you up to a page you can click the button and it will bring you to a search area um ideally just enter your city and state because if you enter in too much information you'll narrow the search down and might not find anybody so enter your city and state and find a cps tech near you Um, This week, they're usually doing events on Saturdays, so there might be an event near you, and you can just drive in and maybe wait in a little line and have your car seats checked. And some cities and states um, have ongoing uh, checkup events, either through local technicians or local hospitals. Um, There's uh, a common misperception out there. You want to talk about that? That you can just go to the firehouse, but you can't do that? What? (laughs) No, um, you can't go to your firehouse. I know, ladies, you all want to. Um, and it's a good excuse, right, to go see those firemen? I know, I used to go there all the time. <laughs> oh, wait, I was visiting my husband. Um, <clears throat> no, the firemen are not necessarily trained. Now, in Greg's um, fire district, they had to go through the CPS training, but they didn't all keep their certification after it For expired. Sure. So... Um, just because they had it once doesn't mean they're up to date and quite possibly they never had it at all in many locations. So you don't want to just go to the firehouse because they're very nice men and they'll probably help you with their seat, but that does not mean that they had, yes, women, women too. Um, (laughs) But that does not mean that they had actual training or they really know what they're doing. So you want to actually find a certified child passenger safety technician. So again, sr4k.com forward slash CPS Tech. You know, one of the things that uh, as parents, we want to uh, help support you as parents and kind of shed some of our um, insights that we've learned over the last 14 years of parenting. So we're going to share a uh, parenting tip uh, at each of our podcasts. Uh, Not only are we car seat technicians, but we're also trained coaches. Certified life coaches, life relationship coaches. So, so. We kind of have a strange background. <laughs> Very diverse. First, um, I'm just going to introduce it, and then Greg's going to share it because it was his parenting tip. Our first parenting tip is distinguishing rules versus standards. Ah, yes. Tell us about rules versus, versus standards. So having standards for how we treat each other, how we treat uh, other people, Uh, is something simple like a standard would be we treat each other with respect. That's always been our standard in our house. Is that respectful? 
Right. Is that respectful? So respecting other people, respecting yourself, respecting other people's stuff, respecting your stuff. So um, we find that it's easier to help guide our children to develop a habit or an internal um, guidance system, if you will, by having standards as opposed to rules or, you know, in society laws that have to be monitored and enforced with some sort of punishment. Um, I, I like to think of it as uh, rules being like an external cast on a limb. Like let's say you, you know, broke your leg and you were in a cast for six years. Uh, well, once you finally take the cast off of the outside of the leg or the limb of the extremity, it's the bones are going to be weak, the muscles are going to be weak, and it's going to have a lot of trouble um, supporting you in life. Uh, whereas if you develop internal strength through having standards, then um, you're actually developing the strength of the bone, the strength of the muscle, the strength of that inner character in a child. So maybe think about what are the standards that you would have in your family? Uh, standards for how we, you treat each other, standards for how you treat other people. The first thing that we've um, thought about in parenting is having the end goal in mind throughout the parenting process. So think about what you want your child to be like, who you want your child to be, act, um, when they're out on their own, when they're in their 20s and 30s. All right, so that's our um, podcast for today. This is, um, it's been a real pleasure. We look forward to having conversations with y'all again in the future. Uh, always feel free to visit us at saferideforkids.com. And that is our uh, e-commerce store and the blog. Amy has over 250 amazing blogs out there with all kinds of safety guidance and education to help you make every arrival a safe arrival. So thanks again for joining us. And follow us on Facebook at Safe Ride for Kids. All right. Or and, Instagram. Yeah. You, gotta, you can hit all our channels on the, on the website there. <laughs> all right. Thanks much. We'll see you next time. Bye. Have a great day.